is strange. Sometimes I'm so afraid. Yet still, I welcome you. I'm getting closer to the edge. Please, tell me, what do I do? If I sleep lightly, will I hear him coming? The air is thin and my pulse is dulling. If I sleep soundly, will he pass me by? So he won't disturb my tranquil night. If I join you in the darkness, will you lead me to the light? Will I walk on streets of gold? Will my mind be free tonight? I'm trapped inside my institution, four corners and four walls. Who holds the keys to my freedom? Who will prevent my fall? One more step and all hope is gone or more hope is gained. What really lies on the other side? No one has come back to say. I felt a breeze right next to me. I turn, no one in sight. My focus is now on the sky. The moon is my nightlight. It's not too late to think things through. I stop. I contemplate. There's no one here to lend an ear. Now I choose my own fate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Vintage Dialogue Radio. I'm your host, S.M. Gaines, and today we're going to be talking about a very serious topic that is very important to me. As you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but any day is a good day to talk about mental health. The piece that I read at the introduction was something that I wrote when I was going through a very deep and dark place in my life. My only escape was writing. And writing literally saved my life. But I was one of the lucky ones. We have a crisis in America. Hospitals and mental health facilities are very important. But underfunding and cuts have forced a lot of the good programs to be closed down. We desperately need these programs to provide mental health care to help people get better. Now imagine this. Imagine that you have a mental health crisis and you end up in prison or jail. What do you do and who's going to help you? It's hard enough getting the treatment that you need when you're not locked up in the system. What happens if it's not you, but a loved one that's behind bars? What are they going to go through? Well, I'm going to try to find out some answers for you. My special guest with me today is my dear friend. Drew is an experienced forensic therapist with over 20 years on the job in the jail and prison system. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blessing. Um, I also want to start by saying rest in peace to DMX. We lost a legend. We lost a king. So I wanted to definitely give him his props. There's no other like him. People that, that have never met him, but just his words that were so moving. And uh, he was very empowering all around the country, the world. 
world, you know, people are giving him praises today and um, honoring him. You know, there's there's a lot of things that I'm interested in talking to. So I'm glad that you reached out to me. So glad to be here. As a disclosure, I wanted to let our listeners know that you're not able to discuss certain details like facility locations and any information that may violate HIPAA laws. So just wanted to say that. First thing I wanted to ask you is what inspired you to get into the mental health field? Because it could be very stressful. Yeah, um, actually, uh, okay, so I'm a forensic therapist. Uh, I started out doing uh, family therapy. And when I started working with the kids, we found out that the government has a large part to play with it into the elementary schools and not the, um, the high schools, which was interesting that it was already too late. And so they wanted to start getting the mental illnesses treatment to some of the younger children while they were still developing. Everyone said that I was a good listener. So I went from being into forensics with something that was totally different, but it felt at home. Um, then I went into the military doing some concert promotions and I toured with um, a bunch of West Coast rappers, met a lot of people, had good times. But I saw that in every profession where uh, mental illness seemed to, to seep in in some form of fashion, whether it was uh, regular mental illness, personality disorders, uh, because of some of the experiences, some of the things that I've seen, things that I've I've felt uh, personally, I thought that uh, I connected with some of the individuals that are arrested, which can be anybody, um, that they have a voice that wasn't being heard. And I wanted to be able to connect and help them as well. Right. You brought up a good point because a lot of people don't know that with mental health, you have to catch it early. I, I think the age is between 18 and 25, if I'm not mistaken. Not catch it. Like if you diagnose it that early, the person is more likely to benefit from it because they're more likely to take their medicine and they're more likely to listen to their parents or their ta their caretakers. So a lot of people aren't aware that of that age of 18 to 25. Is is that correct? Well, actually, so when when we're talking about mental health, mm -hmm. there's, oh man, it's, it's a wide spectrum. Um, when you're talking about mental health, there's, there's different aspects of mental health. For example, you have the typical mental health that most people talk about as far as psychosis, right? But we have different sections. For example, there's personality disorders. There's also disorders that are dealing with childhood disorders, um, autism, um, behavioral issues. So some of the uh, mental health issues, they start at childhood, but then there's others that don't even show its head. They don't they don't occur until after you're 18 years old. Really? Like well into adulthood? It, it could. Correct. It, what like, psycho that? like psychosis, for example. Um, if the, you're not allowed to diagnose anyone for psychosis or, uh, or someone being schizophrenic until you're into your early adulthood. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, because you don't know when you're dealing with children, you're not sure, you know, what is fantasy and what is real. So they have other diagnoses that you would give a child. Uh, it could be that the person just has uh, uh, an, an exciting um, or um, they have a uh, children who have an, an active um, childhood imagination. So we don't know if that's a psych, psych, this a delusion or if it's something dealing with psychosis. So they wait until the, the child is a little bit older before they give a diagnosis of schizophrenia or something like that. So, all, all kids have a, a wild imagination. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> 
Exactly. So to say that, that someone has a best friend that no one can see um, and, and call them psychotic or say that they have psychosis, that, that wouldn't be a fair diagnosis. So we wait until they turn to age 18. Okay. In your line of work, now you deal mostly with um, the prison system, right? The U.S. correctional system? Um, actually, let me, let me give you a, a breakdown. So um, I deal in forensics. So for anyone that's dealing with the law, I've worked in several different forms of forensics. So in the jail system, that's when a person is initially arrested. You get processed in, fingerprinted. Um, you come into the jail and then you get a bond. After you get a bond or if you get a bond, depending on your charge, misdemeanor, felony, um, then you wait until your court date. If you have the funds to pay for that bond, then you go home and you come back and show up to court. If you don't, then you have to wait until your court date. So, for example, somebody who has uh, like a Daylon roof someone who has multiple murders or whatever, or a serious crime, then a uh, high profile, then what, what they'll do is they'll say there's no bond. And whenever you go to court two, three years from now, but you're in jail that entire time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And for other people, like if you, uh, I, I had somebody who didn't pay their rental fee for a, a video, a movie rental, and they didn't serious? pay it. Yeah, they didn't pay the fine. They didn't what pay the. What state is this? I'll, I'll make sure I stay away from that state. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's it's all over. Uh, in New York City Park, in front of um a fire hydrant, right? They send you a ticket. Um, then you have to pay that ticket. If you don't pay that ticket, they can send out a warrant. And once you have a warrant, even if you pay it after the warrant is issued, you have to go down, get processed get arrested, fingerprinted, take a picture, and then they say, okay, the fine is paid, and then you get released. But Oh, parking in front of a fire hydrant? Are you serious? We've had yeah. people parking in front of a fire hydrant, people who haven't paid their rental, people who haven't paid for um, staying at a hotel, and you, you kind of leave without paying. They'll bring you to jail. So you come to jail, um, and that's why it's like, you know, when, when someone has a criminal record, one thing that's that's kind of messed up is that on job applications, they say, do you have a felony, yes or no? But there's never an application that says why. Right. You know, so I had they a guy. change that law. Exactly. I had a guy who um, his, his daughter was uh, being harassed at school. They was bullying her. Um, she uh, was telling her father he came to the school. He told the resource officers. He complained. Mm -hmm. So the, the kids, the other kids, the rival kids, they followed her home um, and they was trying to get her to join the gang and she didn't want to. So mm -hmm. they ended up opening fire at his home. They started shooting into the house. He, you know, out of self-defense, he shoots back outside he ends up killing one of the teenagers. They brought him to jail. So what happens is you come to jail, processed, and then after that, you have your day in court where you get a chance to explain what happens. But in the meantime, you've gone through the whole process. You right. sat in there, you're, you're next to, uh, you know, when you first come in the intake, you're next to whoever just got arrested. So this person could be somebody that jaywalked or he could be a murderer. And you're mm -hmm. in that cell with this person until you go to bond court, get processed and come out. So the jail system is different from prison. After you've been processed, been found guilty. Well, actually, you're, you're there doing your time. I so, thought they were both the same thing. Yeah, I see a lot of people. They say, oh, so-and-so, he got arrested and went to prison. No, he went to jail. He didn't go to prison. Right. And the mentality of the inmates are very different 
when you're dealing with them, especially with mental health, because everyone is con- is considered to be innocent inside of a jail and they're waiting for their day in court. The people in prison have been convicted, whether they're you know wrongfully so or rightfully so, but they've been convicted and they're waiting to do their time. Big difference. What's the average stay for somebody who just something minor? So I have worked, um, I worked in the, I worked in a jail. I worked in a prison. I worked in an emergency room. I've worked in the prison hospital. I've worked mm-hmm. all over. Um, and so jail, uh, typically you do not stay there longer than eight years. All right. Because, oh. you know, according to the law, you're supposed to have a fair trial and a speedy. Well, eight years is speedy. Dealing with all these guys that's been in jail for two, three years. Why do I even have to stay one night? Like, what's speedy? What's speedy to you to be away from your children, your family, your husband, your wife? What's speedy to you? You know, those lawyers, they come in, they go home at night. But this person who's being accused of something, they have to spend a night where they eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And and one of the biggest uh, trades that they have is uh, because you don't have access to food. You don't have access to a lot of hot food. Some of the meals, the meals are between four and five o'clock in the p.m., So that means you have to wait until the morning to get nourishment, canteen, or food. I mean, I watched Oz. Didn't they have a commissary? Oz was a very good depiction of what happens in jail. Mm -hmm. If you you notice in Oz, they had all these different stories and how you don't have a whole lot of resources. It takes Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks before you can get your commissary. So in that meantime, it's in this toothpaste that has no flavor to it. They give you a toothbrush that's half the size of a regular brush because Mm -hmm. people were using them for uh, weapons. They would take the long toothbrushes. They were making a point. And make them into a shank. So they give you these uh, two and a half inch toothbrushes, toothpaste with no flavor to them. I've seen people, they would would trade their Air Jordans. One of the biggest trade uh, financial resources is food. So what people would do is they would get honey buns and they would trade it because that would fill their stomach. So for two or three honey buns and I'm hungry, it's been, you know, two, three days. I ain't have nothing to eat. Hey, you can have my joys. Oodles and noodles. Well, okay. So with oodles and noodles, the microwave ovens that they had in the jails, people was heating up the water and throwing it on people, boiling hot, scorching people in the face. There's no microwaves. There's no teapots. So you got honey buns. I keep forgetting about the scenario that we're talking about, talking about jail and not college. And so things are different. Someone very close to me has mental illness. And I can honestly say if his circumstances were different, meaning if he didn't have good health insurance, a good family to support him or be part of a program that helps people with his illness, I don't know where he would be right now. I know he's very grateful that he's in a good place now and he's thriving. But I wanted to ask you, in your line of work, you encounter people who don't have the tools. They don't have a support system. They don't have a mom or dad or brother or sister who who has their back and they're looking out for their best interests. They could be homeless or on drugs. There are so many different scenarios we can talk about. And then that person goes through a psychosis or a mental breakdown. What happens? How do they go from that to ending up in one of your jails or prisons that 
you used to work at. Okay. Um, so we see that all the time. Uh, we see it all over in the news where we're seeing people that are, are being arrested and then we find out later that they were uh, someone that was previously diagnosed with a mental illness. Um, you know, and, and then we have the, the other um, issue where people are coming in and they're dual diagnosed. Dual diagnosis means that the person has a mental health diagnosis, but they also have an addiction diagnosis. So um, sometimes we don't know which one came first. Um, is this person mentally ill? Is this person mentally ill that's doing drugs? Is this person uh, someone that's doing drugs and has uh, symptoms of uh, mental illness due to the substance abuse? How do you address that? Well, you, you always treat the um, the uh, symptoms that are being expressed. Okay, um, so if so, it depends on if we're on if you're talking about mental health center or if you're talking about in the jail. Um, that's why uh, we have a lot of new program. We have mental health uh, professionals going out with police officers, so they're not treating them as it's someone that's intoxicated, but it might be someone that's mentally ill. You know, and, and vice versa. Vice versa, even if it's someone that's intoxicated that's acting out, this treatment. So what we do is we make sure to get proper hospital so that we can do a diagnosis and and treat this person appropriately. Have that though, right? With the cops coming with the, when you call the ambulance, it used to just be the police officer and that's it. And then they would just take them to jail. Is this something Correct. new that they introduced? Correct. Correct. What they're doing in certain states um, is that they have... Um, they have like uh, an emergency. They, they call it different names in different states. But now what they're starting is a test program uh, when there's a crisis and then they have the police officers show up. And, and so now they're introducing it to the police system where when they go out, they have a mental health professional to show up and to uh, to kind of diagnose the issue of what's going on. You know, we just had, you know, somebody that died because they had the spit mask on people that's getting killed because they're uncertain about their mentality, but they are paying some of the mental health professionals $5 an hour to be on call. And then they pay them $25 if they have a call. Well, if I have to get up at four in the morning to go out with a police officer dealing with a crisis and I'm on payroll for $5 an hour, what kind of diagnosis? What, right. We're not pumping enough resources into mental health to have quality people going out with the right state of mind so that they can go out and do their, their job because they have to get up in the morning and, and go work their regular jobs. So we're not pumping enough resources into the mental health system um, to, to, to make this happen. But but they are doing some um, some trial cases in certain states where the mental health professionals go out with and accompany the police officers to assist them on whether the person needs to go to a jail or whether they need to go to a, a hospital. Right. But you're still using the initial 911. So how do you know? I guess you have to explain to whatever operator comes on, like what's going on. And then they have to be trained to decide who to send out. Right. Again, back with the resources. So that's when we need more mental health professionals to, to go in and to train the police officers on things that they're looking for. So th this is, this is a, a budding issue that they need to put more resources into. However, back to your, your other question, if it is someone that doesn't have uh, resources as far as insurance. The state agencies have what's called a sliding scale. Go to the mental health facility where they will work with you and they can't turn anyone down based on your income. Yeah, but is there enough room, especially in this age with corona, everybody's stressed out, everyone has a, a breaking point. Are there enough 
facilities to help people? Um, so uh, if a person is in crisis, then what will happen is you send them to the hospital and the emergency room. They'll make room into the uh, the facility to make sure that this person is secure so that they're not harming themselves or anyone else. So that's the first step to get them there, to get them the medication that they need on an emergency basis until we can mm-hmm. find out for the lives long term or if this is someone that can be treated outpatient. OK, so that's fine. But when you go to the emergency room, sometimes you don't have the regular doctors that are on sh- unless I'm wrong aren't most of the emergency room workers residents that are in training what if there's what happens when there's a misdiagnosis okay well when you're dealing with an emergency room um mm-hmm. they have residents all of them have a uh, a experience that they go and compare their notes to and has to be signed off on. So when when someone comes into the emergency room for mental illness, they come mm-hmm. straight back. We have a separate section, depending on what state you're in, where they come into like the mental health section of the hospital, um, where they're um, put in a secure location to be seen. They're uh, assessed. The resident, which we only have residents during certain hours, but they have a uh, licensed psychiatrist on call 24 hour addition to a medical uh, doctor that can say, we're going to hold them and monitor them uh, with the nursing staff until they can be seen by the um, the, the psychiatrist that's on a, a normal shift. But they have staff that's 24 hours. Okay, that's good to know. I know that before we talked about misdiagnosis and some cases, criminals you find out or people who break the law, they end up in jail and you find out that they have some type of um, mental illness. I know that there are some treatment options, thing called CBT and DBT. Do you, are you able to, is that something that you can talk about or is that off limit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those are, um, those are forms of therapy. So um, DBT is dialectable behavioral therapy. CBT is cognitive behavior therapy. DBT is a form of CBT. So, um, and I know I just rattled a bunch of stuff off. Okay. So (laughs) CBT, right. CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. That's the, that's kind of like the go-to therapy. That's the therapy where they want to change your, it's, it's, it's behavioral therapy where Mm -hmm. you want to change the behavior into positive outcomes. So when a person comes in, you want to uh, talk to them about the things they're dealing with. Uh, A lot of times it's people who are dealing with depression, you know, you think about all of the beha- behavioral change. So uh, a lot of times that is suicidal, uh, you know, they gave up on life. And, you know, when I went into the jail, if I may give a story, um, when I went into the jail, uh, when I got there, uh, there was there was two sides of people. One side, they didn't want to talk to me because I was considered, you know, the guy that if you talk to him, you must be crazy. So we're not going to mm. talk there. Right. Then there was the right. other side where they were. They were too hardcore. Like, I don't want to talk to the way from me. I don't want to talk to nobody. Um, and so I I had to kind of break into, I had to break that barrier, break that wall down so that I could kind of get to help these people. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not without flaw. You know, when I first got there, somebody, 
you know, uh, we had this thing called um, uh, code brown. Okay, in in when you're in a jail or hospital system, they have different codes. So it's code red, it's code yellow, code blue, and it depends on what's happening at the time. So if it's a fight, code blue. If somebody got hurt, I'm excuse me, if it's medical, code blue. If it's someone that got hurt, code red. Um, but then we had a code brown. So code brown is when you go and you have an angry inmate, and they have a mixture of water or sometimes urine and feces. And oh no, you're going to go there, aren't you? Yeah, I got to keep it real. And they will do I was, well, I was thinking yeah. that's what it was going to be, but I'm like, nah, he's not. That's not what it is. That's what it is. Cold Brown, they'll get you. They'll get you. So it's like, you have to learn to respect and, and earn respect with the with the inmates as you talk to them. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was able to, you know, talk to some of these guys who didn't want to be bothered, didn't want to be, you know, talk to about at that time. And I was able to, to talk to them and say, hey, listen, um, you know, I'm not here to put you on any medication that's going to have you with the uh, quote unquote Thorazine shuffle, which is another term, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, Thorazine is a medication that really sedates you. Oh, okay. Okay. And so... It's like being in the movies where they're like, right. you're like a zombie. And then you start shuffling with Thorazine shuffle. Uh, so in the jail, it was like, you're going to get the Thorazine shuffle. And it's like, no, no. You know, I don't even... With, with most of my my uh, patients that I talk, that's going to be the last resort. Let me talk to you. Let's, let's do this therapy where we peel back the layers to find out what's going on. What are your issues? And we can talk through it. And if it's to the level where you do need medication, then we'll we'll address that at that time. But for right now, I just want to talk to you. I'm not trying to agitate you, but let's have some open conversation about what's going on with you. So what I would do is I would go into the, the cells and I would talk to the uh, the various people um, to address their issues, talk to them about uh, mental illness, talk to them about how we can help them and to give them a continuum of care so that when they leave the jail, that they have resources when they get out. Uh, We have TROSA, uh, T-R-O-S-A. TROSA is a long-term facility for when people get out, if they have drug issues, Um, Mm -hmm. if they have, uh, they're trying to get back on their feet. TROSA assists them with getting college degrees. They assist them with uh, their mental health. They help them to get back on their feet. And it's an inpatient two-year drug treatment program that you can apply for while you're incarcerated. Uh, There's another Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, there's another one called Delancey Street. Um, and, and these facilities are in multiple states. They're not just in, in, in the South. They're everywhere. California, New York City, North Carolina get treatment for dual diagnosis. Um, uh, or if you are someone who has uh, bipolar one, bipolar two, um, these different diagnoses, personality disorders where you're dealing with depression or if you're dealing with um, something we talked about before uh, with dystemia. Yeah, you know, I have a hard time pronouncing that word. Yeah, dystemia, correct. So there's another word for that now. That one's outdated. What's the new terminology for that? Yeah, so dystemia um, is a form of depression. Um, And so what happens is sometimes we have mood and behavior disorders. So Mm -hmm. with, uh, and, and this is, you know, what we was talking about the other day that, you know, when you're talking about somebody that's depressed, you know, this is somebody that's down and out and they're feeling like they can't, they can't work. They can't, you know, they can't function, but there's different levels to it. 
So dystemia is an old term, uh, and it's more long-term. It's someone who has depressive symptoms. They're kind of coping with it, but it's for a longer time period. So they have this this down, uh, they have this dark cloud over them. Um, and so now they call it uh, persistent depressive disorder. So it's so PDD. So the medication that, that you guys, or not you per se, but that is prescribed for depression, is that like a life, is that lifetime or can people wean off of the medication for it? Well, with me, uh, what I do is I try to teach people to uh, to build techniques and, um, and, and find uh, appropriate uh, behavioral skills, uh, outlets, so that they don't need medications at all. Do you have to have medication, though? I said with some mental illness, you do have to have its lifetime. But we're talking That's about depression. Correct. That's correct. On. Yeah, yeah. if it's something, because people think that if you go to mental health, like when I was at the jail, um, people was thinking that if you deal with me, you have to get on medication. No, we can talk through some things and it might be some strategies that we can work out where you won't mm-hmm. need any medications. However, due to chemical imbalances, certain people need medication to help them level off. And if that's right. the case, then it's lifelong. And mm-hmm. and you have to think about it. How, how would that just all of a sudden repair itself? It, it's, right. it's not. So, so with schizophrenia, is that, is that a chemical imbalance or that's just a, a type of psychosis okay schizophrenia yeah that's a, that's a uh, that's a, a chemical imbalance so with okay. someone okay and, and we think about the definition of, of um, schizophrenia uh, there, there's certain criteria that you would have to fit to to fit that diagnosis and there's different forms of it as well and kind of like different levels as well mm-hmm. um, so like if you're having if you're having schizophrenic symptoms, so that means you're having delusions, you're having uh, you're having hallucinations. You're hearing um, voices. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which which falls in those the category. If, if you're having those type of symptoms, um, then, you know, we need to treat that. And that's not something that's going to just go away. Right. So we have to have those medications so that you uh, have a sense of reality so that we can make sure that you're not going to harm yourself or anyone else. So is there anything, is there any such um, condition called bipolar schizophrenia? Because I was talking to someone a while ago and she was like, oh, my son has bipolar schizophrenia, but I never heard it. I thought you could have one or the other. I didn't know there could be a combination of both of them or more than one mental illness. Okay. So uh, you have schizophrenia or you have bipolar, but you... Mm -hmm. There's different, and this might be something that people don't know. So there's more than one bipolar. So you can have bipolar one or you can have bipolar two. All right. Bipolar two is what most people see. That's when the person has the mood swings. You have hypomania, which, you know, you might do, you know, some excessive things. People get uh, overly expressive sexually, that kind of thing. But then when you have bipolar one, you know, that's when the person is, is, has those extreme symptoms. And then you move on to the next level, which would be schizoaffective, where you're having these mood swings, but you're mm-hmm. also some delusions, you know, you're having some hallucinations. But then when you get to schizophrenia, it's you're having these symptoms without the mood swings. It's, it's straight up, you're having those symptoms. Now, what's confusing is... When you have substance-induced psychosis, 
Right. So, so to answer your question, to have uh, bipolar schizophrenia, no. And if you have a combination of the two of them, you're going to be what's called schizoaffective. Got you. you. Know? Okay. But that's so people- commonly <laughs> spoken about, but it's 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 wrong. That's not that's not true. It's it gets very confusing and complex. So that's probably why the person thought that her son had it. Right. And but I I'm gonna tell you, in my field, I've seen people come in with that diagnosis. That's not possible. You know, now now sometimes people can have a variation, but it, it, at that point it's called something different, you know. And that's why it's important to, to anybody that, that has a, a psychiatrist to have a therapist. A psychiatrist, when you come into his office, you know, unless you have a really good who has time like that, most of them, you know, they're they're gonna treat uh your your illness. Um, mm-hmm. but they're, they're also dealing with the medical side of it. So they, the time you spend with them is going to be 30 minutes. Um, a, a, a yeah, therapist or less. or less, right. Uh, a therapist is someone who's find out what's going on with you, talk mm-hmm. to you, you check in, you can do video chat, come in and talk, you know, you do an hour with the person and they got a chance to really talk to you. And then they can take your story, your, your history to the psychiatrist. So that the psychiatrist can properly treat you. So, so you really need both. I know you mentioned about the bipolar and you said some of the things that people do, they become like addicts. If it's, they do like extra spending or they have a lot of sex. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Isn't that part of being a narcissist? And what, so a narcissist is what, is that a sociopath or a psychopath? These things are so confusing. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you, we could sit down and do a class because those are all those are all different. Being a narcissist doesn't mean that you have a psychosis. That's a diff- totally different. Animal, totally different. Right? Totally different. Yeah, yeah. Narcissist. See, okay, psychosis. You're talking about a person that has hallucinations, delusions, but a uh, narcissist is. You're talking about personality disorders. Ah, okay. I see. Yeah. So when you're, you're talking about a way that a person behaves, it's a behavior. It's a thought pattern followed by a behavior. So at the jail, we deal with a lot of different individuals who um, have different personalities. And so there's ah, there's a lot of different ways that, that we try to help people to correct their behaviors. You know, and so those are not the people that I push medications on. It's like, let's right. talk about some therapeutic interventions so we can talk about getting you to think more healthy. Wow. It sounds like there's more people in a in a, in a jail system with mental illness than actual hospitals yeah i'm gonna tell you so is in a lot of states they uh i don't know how it started but they started closing some of the mental health hospitals and so they used the jails for mental illness treatment um which then turns into profit for the medical company i see an opportunity the states are not pumping enough money into mental health question for you about the private there's a lot of well-known politicians who invested in private prisons and the mental health professionals don't have a voice like for example when there's a problem right uh in society we have people that are protesting for and against the police department right Mm -hmm. we have people that are protesting for and against uh teachers as far as um funding as far as uh giving them more more certifications as far as raises right when was the last time you seen a protest with mental health 
Okay. Not really, <laughs> I donate to NAMI all the time because I think they're right. really good. But right. nada, I got nothing. Nothing. Exactly. Um, because, you know, uh, if we're, 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 we're so forgotten about, you know, but then when something happens, then it's, it's like, oh, news. It's front news. news. Yeah, with this person had mental health issues. He shot up a whole bunch of people. He needs mental health. Okay, well, open some mental health facilities. Yeah. You know, pay the mental health staff for what they need to be paid, you know, they but that doesn't happen. We're yeah, an afterthought. You guys should be at the top of the list for salary. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about post-traumatic stress is someone who has been exposed to a trauma, life-threatening or the feeling as though they uh, experienced or witnessed or heard about a trauma, a trauma or traumatic event. How can we not have more access to mental health for people who are everyday, as right. well as we can open up that whole can for military people that are coming home from Desert Storm and all these different wars that we've had? You know, so how can we just bypass mental health and talk about all the other uh, state and government facilities and uh, agencies? And, and not uh, talk about trying to assist mental health workers. I think it's it all comes back to big corporations, again, with money, because I'm lucky that the company that I work for, we have several programs. I belong to several groups that shed a light on mental illness, caregivers, caretakers. And we also have a program that's called Ginger. And with mm. Ginger, we get six free therapy um, sessions, no charge to us. You don't even have to have insurance through the company to get it. You could have like a different insurance and you qualify for this program. It's also set up with an app. If you need to talk to somebody, you go to the app. So I think corporations also need to take responsibility for mental health because you want your workers to be safe. You want people who work with someone who might be suffering PTSD or some other type of traumatic experience. You want those folks to get help. You don't want them to come to work stressed out. You know, that's right up to the companies to introduce these programs to help their employees so everyone can be healthy and happy. That is correct. So, okay. So now let me address that real quick. So there is a, another theory that's called, you, you asked about CBT and DBT. There's another therapy that's called um, psychoanalytic. Okay. Um, so with psychoanalytic, uh, what we, what we do is we go from the beginning to the, to the current. So uh, that gives us an opportunity to find out uh, what happened when you was born, what happened, was you ever molested, what mm. happened as your childhood, what happened in your relationship, how did your last boyfriend fail you? Well, we get a chance to talk about everything in the past. Then we talk about your presenting issues, right? right. So that takes several sessions so now if you have a company that has seven sessions we're trying to me and you gonna we're gonna talk about four at least four of those sessions gonna be talking about what happened yesterday right so now the, the insurance is not going to cover the next year or two to talk about your main hardcore but it's a because start. it's a start it's a start yeah yeah oh yeah. oh yeah listen i applaud anybody that's doing anything to bring um you into the office whatever it takes come on Let's, let's let's talk about it. You know, however, if it's that important, 
if this is going to keep you from uh, from getting a divorce, from coming back into the building and shooting up everybody, right. then I think we need to maybe look at how can we expand it. So I applaud the ones that have brought attention to it. However, we need more. Right. I mean, that in conjunction with they give us like a free year, I think it's a year or two subscription to Calm, which is also a very good app. You have therapy, not therapy, but you have music and different sounds to help you sleep at night. And, mm-hmm. well, that, that helps that's you. good. That's good. Uh, and, and, and see, that's what I'm saying. It's like there, there's so much that goes into it. And because the companies don't know, mm-hmm. you know, how, how can they win because they don't know? So like the company you work for, they're doing their, their fair share. They're, they're jumping in to assist to help. So they do offer some. So it, and not all companies do that. Right. And a part you know? of that is going back to your employees and asking, what can we do to help you with your right. mental health? Not every, right. not every company does that. So between the feedback and everything else currently going on in the world, uh, I guess we were pretty lucky to be there. That's right. Because we're, we're learning. We're learning more each each day and every day. Um, You know, some of it is reactive instead of proactive that you know we're finding out that after an event happens that oh we should put more time more resources into mental health but um we're getting there you know slowly but surely i just wish that people would put more time attention and resources into mental health because because when when things go wrong that's when they open up the gates for us you know what what else it is drew and this is a whole different other topic or episode there's a stigma, especially in our community, about mental health. Everybody has like a Uncle Joe or whatever. Sorry, Uncle Joe Biden, not you. But everybody has an uncle <laughs> that sits in the back room with, and you give him his food every day because they're embarrassed about the uncle coming out because he has some type of mental illness or challenges. It could be from war. It could be from Vietnam. It could be from anywhere. And we don't talk about it enough. That's a problem. People are embarrassed to talk about mental health. Yeah. And you know something? That spectrum is so wide because we don't want to communicate. And that's the biggest thing. We have mm-hmm. to start talking. I believe that every person is given one energy in their system, in their body, right? And there's percentages that are taken out from different items like for example uh you didn't you didn't eat healthy last night you didn't get enough sleep uh you didn't exercise so those are percentages before you even open your eyes um you get stressed about your, your child not doing well in school mm-hmm. your cousin your cousin is in jail your sister she she doesn't want to talk about some of the issues that she has so when we go out into society we're only dealing with a smaller percentage of what we're really capable of doing because we don't want to talk about it we don't want to share we we don't want to talk about our cousin that that says that she doesn't want to talk about her being homo uh being homosexual uh being a lesbian um, why not? Well, let's talk about it. Right. Why, why do we have to be in a closet because exactly. you love someone from the same sex? I think that we need to talk about that. And right. if that's how you feel, let's talk. Let's engage. We shouldn't have to be hiding behind closed doors because someone, Uncle Joe, has a, a mental illness, you know, or exactly. Susie likes another woman. No, you you still my cousin. You're still my sister. You're still my uncle. I love you. And let's have dialogue. Right. Yes. Vintage's Dialogue Radio. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
we got to talk about it, right? We we have to discuss everything, you know. Um, and and you know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I uh, you know, personal story insight. I um, I had, had a process where I had to grow. Um, going into the jail, you know, I'm I'm coming in, you know, I have the New York state of mind, you know. And when some of the guys was talking to me, we would sit there and go back and forth, you know, and and we would shoot threats at each other. Because, you know, they will drool. Yo, you don't know. When I get out, what makes you think that I won't find you? I'm like, hey, listen, yo, here's my address. And I put my ID on the glass so they can see where I live at. And then I would tap my finger at the top of the ID and show them that the ID I had that had my address on it was my um my, my permit to carry. Oh, wow. see me. I was, you know, I was going to say, where are we going with this conversation? <laughs> because I there was a, a whole process that I had to go into because I wasn't understanding what they were going through. Right. Um. You know, and, and so it's like when you're dealing with somebody that's dealing with depression, aggravation, dealing with somebody like that, there's a process. Everyone that comes into that jail system, even though that they might come um, in an aggressive manner, which is where I was going with that, I had to learn that, guess what? These are all somebody's children. Yes. These are all people that um, that need to be uh, handled in a professional manner. Some people that need to uh, express themselves to talk about their issues, and 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 we used to go at it. And I, I learned. Wait a minute. We don't know what are the initial issues for this person. Why why is this person feeling this way? Why are they agitated? Why are they committing these crimes? Mm-hmm. And so when I came back with a different attitude, and I said, you know what? Let me go back and talk. Um, in a different way. So when someone come through with threats and anger, and I'll be ask them. So listen. So how did this start? What what happened? How mm-hmm. how's your family? You know, I'll talk to you when you're ready to talk. Right. You know, I'm ready to talk about anything that you want to discuss on your terms. And then that's when they saw that I was someone on their side. That I was someone um, about thing that they have gone through. Um, I talked to one guy. He had just come in. And, you know, you don't know what mentality. A lot of times they throw threats. And it's like, well, we can't take that stuff personal because you're a professional. So you take you take each issue, you know, story by story. This particular guy, he had burn marks on his shirt. And so I said, hey, what's going on with you? So we're talking. And as we're having a conversation, there's charges. And, you know, this what was so unique about my job because, it wasn't a prison where they got to think about stuff. This was this is a jail where the person was being chased on the news. He was there because he had uh, the burn marks that he had. He set a girl's house on fire, pulled her out of the fire, and raped her while she was on fire. Oh, my God. You know, these are the different type of people that I was talking to. And it's like, yo, you have burn marks on your shirt right now. And that's a lot to take in right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the reason why it's like, you know, there's there's each person that's going through whatever they're going through. So so for him to, to be able to do something like that, we we are quick to throw that person away. We're quick to um to discard this person. But this is a person that we need to talk to so that he doesn't do it again. We need to make sure that this person understands the magnitude of, of what he has done. Find out what happened to him. Are there other people out there like Can that? I ask you if this person was so, a young person or an older person? Because after a certain age, isn't it no, there's no help. There's no rehabilitation. Well, it depends. It depends on what they're going through. Um, you know, some people are doing it because, you know, they have they have different things going through their mind. This particular person, he was under the influence. 
but he had a lot where he, you know, there was a lot of stuff that he never expressed. And so it bottled up inside. And then in that in conjunction with different drugs that he, you know, he takes out his frustrations, his past histories of abuse on other people. And, you know, that's what made my job a little bit different than regular therapy, because, you know, I deal with people who are a little bit more hardcore. So he was a abused in his childhood and then he was regurgitating what happened to him basically yeah you know they say hurt people hurt people right yeah and and when you mix that with uh you know back to the the term i used earlier of being dual diagnosed so you're dealing with somebody that has emotional issues already not psychosis but psychotic Mm -hmm. but he was under the influence and dealing with the burden of some of the things that he was dealing with You know, and so I did a lot of growing because a lot of times when you see someone who has done certain crimes, you do a prejudgment. And in my job, you can't do what I did when I was younger. I'm in there and we're throwing threats back at each other. It's like, no, let's sit there and see how can we work with these individuals that other people won't work with and try to see if we can at least make a difference with them so that they don't repeat it. And also so that I can recognize those symptoms and some of the other, because there's some inmates that I have uh, talked to as adult that I've known since they were 16. And and that's, a, that's another point. The age limit for an adult in the jail system, it, it differs in different mm-hmm. states. But in most states, you are an adult at age 17. I thought it was eight. Oh, you said different states. 17. Um, and some states it's 18. Mm-hmm. But we had a case with these girls. It was four girls. And they called them the set it off girls. These girls were um, young girls. They were between the age of uh, 15 and 19. And what they was doing was they was going around and they was trying to get guys who wanted to prostitute. And so they would set the guys up. They would have the little pretty girl to go in the room with the guy. And when he put his pants down for prostitution, then she would give the signal. The other girls would come in there with the guns and they would rob the guy. They they did that a couple of times. It was successful. Got paid. But one time the guy, he tried to attack girl. And when he uh, went to attack the girl, the girls came in there with the guns. The gun went off, killed mm. the guy. Well, what they did was they kept the case in uh, litigation for two years until the youngest girl turned 17 years old. Once she turned 17 years old, because remember, this is jail. They keep you in jail until your court date. So they raised their their bond um, to the point where they couldn't get out. Then when the girl turned 17, that's when they prosecuted them and was able to get all of them for murder as adults. I never knew that they could do that. I thought as soon as the case came up, then you just get the trial over with and then they go to a juvenile hall or something like that. Nope. They bring you to the county jail and you await your trial. Wow. And so, um, and like I said, uh, during that time period, you're not sure what each individual is dealing with mentally, mm-hmm. uh, what they're going through. You know, you have families on both sides of the, the fence. So it's, it's, it's a lot to talk about, a lot to, to discuss, a lot to dissect. Right, because a part of me feels sorry for the girls. They were so young. They did something so stupid and foolish. Right. And another side of me is a, like, what about the family? They should have see justice for the person that died. So I'm have different feelings about that. Yeah. Yeah. And as a, uh, and as a, as a therapist, it's like, 
if this is your client, you have to take care of that person for the, the presenting issues that they have. Yeah, whether child rapists, whether they murdered your uncle, you have to take each person case by case for the mental uh, health issue that they're dealing with. So they're not all psych- psychotic, mm-hmm. but they might be dealing with, you know, situational issues, um, you know, whether they don't have the financial resources. So they're out there doing crimes to, to you know, provide for their family or, or whatever the case is, you know, depression. Uh, some of them have been molested before. So. It's a little bit of everything. So the people who get locked up and their families are very wealthy, I never hear about them going to jail until their trial date. They always get out straight away. I don't. I, that's why I thought if they would underage, yeah. then they would get their trial faster or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it depends on the case, the situation, and their um their criminal history. Right. So you know, like for example, R. Kelly. R. Kelly was accused of a whole bunch of things with child pornography and stuff like that. R. R. Kelly had the money. So the first time, the first time. And so he was able to post a bond. He didn't go to court until six years later. Right. So if he was, you know, but but his bond was like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So the average person. But by the time he went to court, the girl was of age. So the court, the case got thrown out. No. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I don't remember the details behind it, but just as far as how the bond works, you 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 go to court and then they give you a bond. They have a, a scale on. Uh, certain factors and based on those factors, uh, previous charges, the ability to uh, escape, leave, not come back to court. That's how they set your bond. Um, I've seen where they did uh, homeless guys who had they uh, constantly was repeat offenders for loitering, breaking into households and uh, trying to get food, squatting. I've seen judges give them twenty five dollar bonds because they knew they couldn't couldn't pay it. So they stay in jail for 30 days until their court date because they don't have twenty five dollars. Wow. I'm about to give you information on some warm lines uh w-a-r-m these are crisis phone numbers before the crisis do something here's three different numbers one is promise resource network that number is 833-390-7728 kia house k-e-y-a that number is 402-261-5959 Mm-hmm. Okay. Last one. Hanu House. 402-975-2032. So these are telephone numbers that as you're beginning to get frustrated, because mm-hmm. a lot of times when somebody is at that point, if they want help, then they, they're going to reach out for someone to talk to. A lot of times when someone is serious about suicide, They've already made their mind up. They're not calling a hotline after it's too late. You made up your mind. You know, you got the pills in your hand. You're not calling a hotline. Not if you're serious. Okay, so they've created a warm line so that you call the warm line before it gets bubbly and you you have a chance to talk to someone that can give you a a, a different point of view. Free. It's no chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 24 hours, seven days a week. Give them a call. They get a chance to talk to you, assess your situation. They can send mm-hmm. help out to you or their guidance on where you can find outpatient, inpatient, long term, short term um, facilities that will help you out. And and we have there's there's a bunch of different programs that I have. But, um, you know, we can talk about that later. But I, I want to definitely give you that information for anybody that's really dealing with something. And mm-hmm. this is free. It doesn't matter what state you're calling from. Nope, national. Okay, that's good information to know because um, 
I remember one time I tried to reach out to somebody and to get help. And uh, they were like, oh, if you feel like you're having a breakdown, dial 911. Well, I didn't mm-hmm. want to dial 911. So with the numbers I gave you, the, mm-hmm. the people that are on there, they kind of take turns. So you have individuals that are uh, mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. What we also have was called peer support. So a peer support specialist, this is someone who has dealt with something in the past themselves, whether it be uh, drugs, whether it be diagnosed with a, a, a mental health disorder. So you're talking to somebody where people will say, well, you don't you probably don't understand. I'm going through something right now, but you don't really understand when you're dealing with a peer support person. And this is somebody been down that dark road in their past right. in some form of fashion so they can directly relate. Someone who's been in your shoes before and they can give you the best advice. I also have a podcast that's going to be starting. It's called Thug Therapy, which is uh, therapy helping underrated generations. Um, I want to help people um, where they're dealing with their mental illness and don't want to talk about it. I want to help them if they're dealing with their sexuality um, and don't want to talk about it. Like These are things that are important, and I don't think that they should be pushed to the side. I think that we should you know, liberate. I think that we should talk about things and I open a forum so that we can talk about all of those things. And when I got into forensics, it was really right on key because it was a, a, a generation, um, a population of people that I thought that I could really assist and help. And I enjoy it. It's, it's a job where even if I did mm-hmm. it for free, I would enjoy helping that population of people. So I enjoy talking and listening. I like that name, Thug Therapy. How did you, where did you get that from? That name is hot. Yeah, I wanted to get something that was going to bring attention um, to it. But also uh, I started thinking about the different people that I was working with in jail um, and, and how they're dealing with mental illness on different levels. So I wanted to be able to to help people who are disenfranchised. I wanted to help people that didn't have a chance to speak for themselves or, or found themselves in predicaments. You know, I dealt with um, a large population mm-hmm. of young guys. Uh, in the jail and some of them were acting out and I started realizing their birth dates correlated with the 80s and how some of the things that happened during that time period and I was like wow that was that was the crack era that was the time when we were trying to reinvent ourselves Uh, you know people were starting to be entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. and um and I just really thought that if I could get out there and help people um, and that's why I named it, you know, therapy, helping underrated generations, um, giving people a, a, an outlet, an opportunity to talk and for me to share some of my my jail stories, because I see that seems to be really popular. People want to know, well, what's going on with my loved one that's behind jail or what's jail life like or why do these guys act like they're so hard and how do they act when they yeah. behind bars? And it's a totally different that story. That sounds good. You know, I'm going to be your first subscriber. It's going to be <laughs> one wherever you listen to your podcast. That's where you can check out Thug Therapy. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm yep. going to keep it hot. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on today and talking about mental health illness in the correctional system because it's something that people don't like to talk about. 
they want to keep it under wraps. The situation is getting worse. They're closing down hospitals. Uh, we don't have enough therapists. Let families know the importance of mental health so that we can help their family members. Because, you know, to everyone else, when a person goes to jail, they're a criminal. But that is still someone's baby. That's someone's 45-year-old, 16-year-old, 85-year-old, brother, sister, daughter, you know, father, uncle, auntie. And, and if they have a mental health issue, I think that, that we try to give them the assistance that they need, as well as educating all of our first responders on how to deal with people appropriately so that we can stop the killing. Let's educate people. Let's help the people who have the uh, the mental health diagnosis so that they're on their proper treatments so that they're not in those situations um, and, and teach everyone about um, mental health as a whole so that we can we can help our people. Right. And then when people think about mental illness and the situations that they see in the news, they think of bipolar they think of schizophrenia, but there are other spectrums that um, people have that might be misdiagnosed, like autism. Oh, there's so, a whole bunch of them. <laughs> right. Autism is yeah. one that I can think of where the person might not be able to communicate to let the police officer or someone in the neighborhood who isn't familiar with, familiar with them know that they are not able to have a regular dialogue just like everyone else. And they might be misdiagnosed on the spot. That's correct. So I think we need a lot of a lot of training and a lot more education. And I think the education also, we shouldn't wait until we're adults. The education should start when we're in school. Yep, that's correct. And and we, we should definitely have some refresh refreshers as we are uh, employed in different areas where we're dealing with the public, you know, because there, there's a lot of times where people are acting out and they're not aware of what they're dealing with, you know, and, and I didn't even touch on all of the different personality disorders that we get confused with some right. of the other disorders, you know, like how you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, as far as some of the childhood disorders where you have um, autism, but we have a right. lot of personality, we have like 10 different personality disorders and, and a few other generalized disorders dealing with people that may react differently than what we are expecting. So to the restaurant owner, to the fire department person that, that, that comes up, the uh, the EMS person that arrives first to the scene, and we see this person, you know, acting different. We, you know, we, we need to have some education so we have sensitivity to the general public because we don't know what right. type of issue a person is dealing with. Exactly. Well, we could go on all day talking about this. So I hope. Oh, I got that... eight million stories. <laughs> I Ugh. hope you will come back. So on thug therapy, it's not going to be uh, politically correct. We're going to just talk, and we're going to have um, open discussion about any and everything dealing with mental health. But of course, mm -hmm. I'm going to have a lot of people that are coming from the jails and prisons or employed, employed at one of the uh, one of the jails or prisons. And we're going to have open discussion about all of that. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be educational. Please check me out. Thug Therapy on all the platforms. Thank you so much, Drewski. I told you I was going to call you that on air. I'm good. All right. Much love. Appreciate you. No doubt. All right. Bye. All right, please.
If this is your first time joining, welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio, and thank you for listening. And if you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss a thing. What topics do you want to talk about in the future? I'm sure you have plenty of questions for my guests. So don't forget to drop a comment, ask a question, and leave a review. You never know. I could actually call upon you to be a special guest on my show. All of the information about this episode is in the description box, along with an email and links to my blog, website, and more. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.